0: This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Good morning. I uh, told an earlier crowd, I love that opening because it's got all kinds of drum stuff in it, and I don't, I grew up, I didn't play any kinds of instruments, but I did play drums, and so I'm just like, ah, that's, it's just fun, and it reminds me of a drum corps, so I like it, so it's, it's awesome. Kudos to Taylor excuse me, kudos to Taylor for creating that, and kudos to Taylor for singing this morning and playing bass. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I don't raise that. Titan, um, Christ is risen. Yeah, let's try that again. Christ is risen. There you go. Thank you. We are in the Easter season, so Easter doesn't happen just one day, but Easter is like It happens for 40 days, 50 50 days until you get to Pentecost. But actually, every Sunday is supposed to be a little Easter. Every Sunday is supposed to serve as a reminder that Christ has risen up from the dead. That he's conquered death. That Christ is not only somebody who suffers for us, loves us, but Christ is victorious for us. And so when we gather on Sunday, we celebrate that Christ is risen. Christ is resurrected. Um, Thinking about that reality that we celebrate that Christ is resurrected... We are moving into a series called. Um, oh, I just forgot the series name. Help me out here. Fighting life's battles. Thank you very much. That's terrible when you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to remember that, and you do it. But it's great to have like prompters, not teleprompters, but just live people prompters on the front row, like KJ and Pastor Jim. It's awesome, and the rest of you too. If you want to be a prompter, you can be today. So, um, fighting life's battles. That's what, That's the series we're in. And we've got a number of battles, right? All of us have battles. Some some of the battles are inside of us. Sometimes they're in our hearts, in our heads. Sometimes in our interpersonal relationships. Sometimes the battles that we face are outside of us in the broader world in which we live. And when we think about the things that we face, we want to do that realizing that we are Easter people, realizing that Christ has risen up from the dead. And from the whole sense of resurrection, there's hope, there's encouragement, there's a challenge. There's things that Jesus challenges us because he's resurrected. And because of the hope that we have of our own resurrection, he invites us to live not just like uh, any sort of mundane life, but he invites us to live a resurrected life. And so today, the battle that we're going to be talking about is the battle of fury. And we're going to be thinking about how does the resurrection of Jesus invite us to walk in a new way with regard to expressing fury or anger, things that are visceral emotions deep within inside of us. So, uh, when I was a, a little boy, I had a number of uh, heroes in my life. Some of my heroes uh, were were baseball players, and baseball starts this week, and so it's a great time to think about baseball players. My heroes in, in baseball, they all wore the English D, and that's a, you know, a, sorry, a, some of my people I work with, they love the Cardinals, and I like the Cardinals, but I love the Tigers. Love the, love the Tigers. Anyway... Um, I was not necessarily the, the largest person around. And I came to a realiza- realization early on that I was going to be vertically challenged. Now that may be a surprise to some of you, but it was something that I came, came into understanding pretty early, and that meant that some of my dreams about sports and things weren't gonna happen the way that I had I'd imagined. <clears throat> so I was watching television, I was about eight or nine at the time, and a show came on, and it was called The Incredible Hulk. And here's a picture of The Incredible Hulk. Now, some of you who are y- younger, you've never seen uh, Lou Ferrigno, six feet five, painted up all green and mean. You, you've seen the CG um, uh, feature of The Incredible Hulk. in the uh, What series is that? There you go. Marvel. Advent- there you go. See, I told you I needed prompters. There you go. So in the Avengers series. But this was the guy that I saw when I was about eight or nine. Lufrigno, six foot five, but he's he's ripped and he's he's muscle bound, and and he's really the feature of this rather mundane scientist, who from time to time finds himself in situations where he's stuck and he's trying to make sense of of life, and there's this inner inner boil that takes place, and suddenly. You'd see a puff of smoke, and this mad scientist would turn into Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk. And when the Hulk came out, he could pick up cars, he could open doorways, he could do just about anything he wanted to do. Because he was tapping in to a visceral emotion, and also some pretty cool science that turned him into this ginormous beast. Well, as I sat watching the Incredible Hulk, I started to think about how strength matched with anger and fury could really do some significant stuff, could move mountains, could move challenges. It could bring you to a place where if you weren't getting what you wanted, you mix strength with anger and fury and you could get what you wanted. That is, unless you try that out on your mom and you're nine years old. So one of the first places that I tried this out was with my mom. That did not play well. She's like, not going to have any of this. I don't know what this is, but we're not having that. Except that uh, I tried it out on my brother and sister then, who were both younger. And I discovered that, in fact, when I mixed those two and I expressed myself in that way, I could get what I wanted. Whatever was stopped up could be moved. Whatever was stuck uh, could be unstuck. But there were some costs, of course, to be playing the part of the Hulk. You began to hurt relationships. I did. I began to hurt the harmony in the house. Um, in fact, anyway, some of those things still stay with you for a long time. <clears throat> Throughout my adolescence, I played with this, this idea of the hulk. Where could you use it? Where could you not use it? All those things. One day I was in, um, in a barn with my grandfather, and we were working cattle. <clears throat> and the calves weren't doing exactly like I thought they should do. And so I started to go all hulkish on them, you know, pick them up and move them around. And my grandpa, uh, in a very calm fashion, asked a very simple question. He's like, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? And it's almost like the Holy Spirit took that question and started to make me do an examination of my own life. Like, how is that working for me? I had picked up another phrase when I was a teenager, like, if something stuck in life, force it. If it breaks, it needed fixing anyway. And I'm like, as I'm thinking about all that, it's like, Yeah, so when you force stuff, stuff tends to break, and you end up fixing it. Now, maybe everything wasn't stuck, and probably everything didn't need fixing. So, that question and the gift of the Holy Spirit began to make me think what part does anger have? What part does fury play in my life? Where does it come from? What's its genesis? <clears throat> the ancient um, people who walked this earth, they said anger and fury, those are visceral emotions that come from the gods. Um, they, they imagined that the gods, multiple gods, were up in the heavens or maybe down on the earth, wherever they were at. When, whenever they didn't get their way, they were willing and able and ready to go to war over it. In fact, the gods in the heavens may be warring, and that's why you had thunder or lightning. Or if things didn't go well for you here on the earth, maybe the gods were ticked off at you, because the gods, in fact, were very self-interested. And whatever they wanted, the gods were going to get. I was thinking about all this and realizing that Marvel, in their Avengers series, is really displaying for us, putting on display for us, an understanding of ancient spirituality, I don't know if you know that or not, but that's exactly what they're doing. When they give us the gods, and then they give us people that are sort of hyper hyped up because through scientific measures. But here are the the gods at the end of what is this Avengers one or something like that? Some of you you know this scene, but it's just striking to me how how the people who have those godlike features, you know, they get to the end of the movie and they're safe, they're sound, they've they've gone all Hulk. They've been able to use their fury, and they get to walk out, and life is peaceful and placid, except look what's around them, right? Destruction everywhere. I'd hate to be those people who are driving those vans or those cars, but that's what the gods could do. They would let their fury be expressed, and then whatever disaster happened, well, that was just a kind of a cost of doing business. Jesus shows up a couple thousand years ago and began to talk about a God who who functioned differently, who thought differently, who had a different sort of value. And Jesus started to talk about God instead of being somebody who's self-interested, interested interested in his own manifestation, interested in his own glory. I mean, he is, but that's not the primary thing that, that God runs on. God runs on love. Because God runs on love, God values life. And so the things that really matter to Jesus, and matter to God, is that there would be light and there would be life, and that people, our whole sense of existence, it flows out of this reality that God creates out of joy and out of love, and he longs for us to have life. And so, when Jesus began to talk about God, one of the things that he expressed along the way is one of the things that really irritates the Father. One of the things that, if there's anything that's going to rise up in the heart of God, that's going to um, get him to a spot where he's a bit angry, is when life or life is when life is hindered, or death comes along. In fact, this is one of the things that Peter tells us. He says. The last battle, the final enemy that God faces is the enemy of death. And with the resurrection of Jesus, he's overcome it. And so Jesus lives that out, lives out the heart of God the Father about how he he really values life. And the thing that he doesn't like is anything that would lead to death or anything that would hinder somebody from coming close to God. So in the Gospel of Matthew, there's this story where we see Jesus rising up, having a sense of, of anger that rises within him, and expressing fury in a form and in a fashion. But it's, it's different, because at the end, Jesus leads us to life. Uh, we're going to read this from Matthew 21. And if you've got a Bible or you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that. Take out your phone, look at it, or we'll read it here for us. Uh, Matthew writes, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people who were buying and selling animals for sacrifice. Now, Jesus does this in what we would call Holy Week, right before he goes to the cross. He's in Jerusalem, and he's doing this. Uh, Jesus knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple. And he healed them. And the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. Then they asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. And haven't you read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. So here's the deal. The temple is this place in Jerusalem. And the word about the temple is is that if you want to connect with God, if you want to connect with the life source of, of the universe, with, with your life source, you need to go to the temple. The temple is a place for that to happen. And yet when Jesus approaches the temple, he finds that the temple courts, the outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the people for the, that's, that was built and designed by an architect to be a place for the people of the world to gather. When you approach that place, when Jesus does, he sees that it's filled with people who are selling stuff. Stuff that will be used later in worship in the inner courts, but stuff that all the same blocks people, the people of the world, from entering into the temple itself to offer up prayers. Not only does Jesus see that, and and with that, he sees like this blockage from the people of the world connecting with God. Not only does he see that, But he sees an ancient sign that most of us don't see, but that Matthew is hinting at within the pages of that text. There's a big sign that says, keep out, that's plastered over the temple. And the the sign that says keep out to are to people who are lame and who are blind. People who have some sort of malady. People who aren't uh, normal, if you will. And that keep out sign was hung up there by King David about 1,000 years before Jesus. And the development of that goes something like this. David became king of a country that was divided. And David longed to bring the divided country together. And so he longed for a place that could be a, a gathering spot, a spot for the entire country a new capital a, a significant city that would be new for everybody and he noticed that there was a hill that was was occupied by a clan of people called the jebusites and since the time of joshua nobody of the israelites none of the israelites had conquered this hill and so david said that would be a great place to put a new city for a capital city that hill and so he took his army and he said let's go take that hill as his army came, as they gathered around the bottom of the hill, the Jebusites sent out a note to David and his, and his people. They said, uh, glad you came. Just know that you're going to go away like everybody else has gone away. Nobody has conquered this hill. In fact, we are so confident of our, of our defenses of this hill that we have set the blind and the lame to guard the gates, to guard the wall." In that entire encampment, the Jebusites talked about how the hill was unconquerable. The blind and the lame could defend it. In 2 Samuel 5, when the writer gets to the end of the story, he says that David was so sick and tired about hearing the blind and the lame that after they had taken the hill, he put up a a notice, a sign. No blind and no lame can enter this place. That sign continues to stand. So think about it. Here's a temple. It's supposed to be a place where everybody can connect with God. And yet, if you were born with a limp... Maybe an accident took place. If you were born and you couldn't see or an accident took place, you were cut off from that place. Jesus knows the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father is to know each and every one. The heart of the Father is to give life to everybody. And what he sees happening in this place in Jerusalem is that there is a sign for a lot of different people that says, keep out, you're not welcome here. And so Jesus, he turns some tables. He says to some people who are clogging up a space that, is, that was intended for other folks, he says, you need to take your tables someplace else. And he does it with a bit of fury in his voice. But then Matthew says, once that's done, Jesus puts out a welcome man. And he does it to people who are typically who've been, I mean, he does it to the shut out. The first people who come into the temple are the lame and the blind. Matthew says they come in and Jesus starts to, to heal them, to touch them. To give them what he longs to give to people. Not only wellness in their being, but connection with God. And then he says, there are little kids who are running through the temple courts. And the chief priests and the scribes are all concerned about that. And he's like, Jesus, you know, this isn't the right kind of setting for them to be doing that. And Jesus is just like, dude, don't you get it? Like when you come close to God, shouldn't there be like a lilt in your song? Shouldn't you have some joy in your step, some spring in your step? As I've uh, journeyed more with Jesus, I've come to the point where I realize that one of the things that bothers me today, one of the things that sort of gets my ire up is when people want kids in church to be dour and still and to not make a sound. I'm like, no, no. Kids are the people who ought to be running some. They ought to be singing some. And and we ought to be joining them along the way. Jesus is, he's passionate about life. He's passionate about things that hinder that life. That's what makes him furious. Um, A couple Saturdays ago, a number of people from Schweitzer gathered for what we called Sent Out Saturday, when we went into the community, into the neighborhood. And we went to ask questions about the community to, to find out where there were strengths and, and weaknesses. We also went to pray to hear, to listen to God, to say, Father, what do you want to say to us about the community in which we live? And we, listened, and we went out to bless. And in the midst of that going out, a number of people went <clears throat> to a place that's very close to us. They went to the northwest corner and they uh, circled some of the apartments that are over there. And they talked with people who live in and around the apartments and they listened. Some of the things that they heard really bothered them. They heard about how this place is a, is a tough place because there's some crime that goes on there, there's some uh, people with a lot of addictions who live there, and people who like to feed those addictions. And as we gathered back in the outreach center to talk about where we had gone and what we had seen, what we had heard, there was just this overwhelming sense within the people who had walked around that place that they said, we don't know what to do, but here's this burden, this burden of a place that's so close to us, that's right in, right out of our doors. We don't know what to do, but there's, we ought to be able to do something. As they were talking about that, <clears throat> it reminded me of a story of a, of a guy I like to read. His name is um, Father Greg Boyle. Greg Boyle went to a, a mission in East L.A. in the in the, mid-night, in the mid-80s. <clears throat> and one day, he said, a number of moms came to him and they said, Father G, we've got a problem. We live in apartment complexes where a lot of drugs are uh, are being dealt. Drug dealers drive in our our driveways, and they park in our parking lots with impunity. I mean, nobody, uh, nobody pays them any mind. They're selling drugs to our kids. They're selling drugs to our neighbors. It's wrecking our our neighborhood. What shall we do? And Father G said, uh, "You guys like Bible studies? Yep, yeah, we like Bible studies. Do you like to do Bible studies at church? Yeah, we like to do Bible studies at church." He said, "How about you do a Bible study in your parking lot?" And they're like, "What?" He said, yeah, how about you take this sense of life, this gift of God, and how about you move it to your parking lot where you live and see what Jesus will do with that, see what kind of life Jesus will bring. See, They they took their sense of anger, their angst, even their fury. They turned it into something that could give life, could give hope, could lift people up. They say right now that our country is a country where there's a lot of anger being expressed. I don't know if it's true or if it's not. But I would ask for you to take a moment and think about what happened the past week in your life. Did you express some sense of anger, or sense of fury? What caused it? What brought you to that place? Was it self-interest? Or was it things that, that God's interested in? In a moment, we're going to come to the table of, of the Lord. And we're going to be able to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. As we come to this table, I'd like to remind you That Jesus is passionate about life. And the things that make him furious are the things that take us away from life. He's so passionate about life that he gave his own for us. And on the night when he was betrayed, he took a piece of bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my body. This is my life. I want to give it to you. I want to share it with you. And after the supper, he took a cup and he blessed it. Then he began to pass it around to his friends and he said, Friends, this is a cup of a new covenant. And with it, I give you a new commandment love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus said, Remain in my love. Father in heaven, there are a lot of things in this world that stir up our hearts. Each and every one of us have a place inside where there are things that make us furious. Sometimes we're aligned with you, and other times we're not. As we come to this table today, would you speak us, would you speak to us the word of Christ? Would you link us to the heart of Jesus? Would you make us passionate people about life? And would you give us your joy? In his name we pray, amen.